1: Have you ever swum in the ocean near the shore and noticed a bunch of greenish plants under your feet? They kind of look like grass on land, so many disregard them. Because who stops to look at grass, right? I mean, we take them for granted. Some even want to pull them out, seeing them as a bother to their swimming adventures. But this is not just grass. It's called seagrass. And it's actually one of the things that defend us from the effects of climate change. I'm Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. You're listening to Climate Smart Fisheries, where we travel to Asia Pacific's marine ecosystems and discover how they protect us from climate change. Brought to you by Rare, an international conservation NGO that inspires change so people and nature thrive. In this episode... Let's find out how the Philippine seagrass sustains local communities, whether that concerns their food, livelihood, or disaster preparedness. Seagrass makes up one of the most overlooked ecosystems in the world. As I mentioned earlier, they look like ordinary grass. And unlike colorful coral reefs or flashy sea creatures, seagrass seems so plain until you get to know more about it. We invited a blue carbon specialist to tell us what's so remarkable about seagrass. And don't worry, we will explain blue carbon later.
2: I'm Miguel D. Fortes, a retired professor of marine science, Marine Science Institute of the University of the Philippines. At the moment, I am collating all the world's communities of practice involving seagrass. Dr. Fortes, what is seagrass? Seagrass are flowering plants. We are very familiar with the kogun or shorter grasses. They really are like that. But basically, they complete their life history submerged in the sea, especially in the shallow parts. If you go down to the sea, the first thing, again, that you'll encounter in the water are those sea grasses. Almost 5,000 kilometers of coastline of the Philippines are so abundant with sea grasses. So practically all over the country. The most abundant seagrass beds can be found in Palawan and in Sulu. They are relatively pristine, so let's hope that they will remain that way.
1: Actually, seagrass exists all over the world. But the region with the most concentrated amount of seagrass species is Southeast Asia. In fact, you can find one-third of the world's seagrass species in the Philippines. Despite its abundance in the country, many Filipinos cannot tell the difference between seagrass and the more popular seaweed, such as the Eucuma and the Capificus species, which is eaten as a side dish along with grilled octopus, fish, and meat. So what's the difference?
2: Flowering plant, the seagrass. Seaweeds are not flowering plants. The two are entirely different.
1: Mm -hmm. And if I may add... Seaweeds are a form of algae, but seagrass have leaves, roots, and veins, and they even produce seeds. Now, that would debunk the misconception that seagrass and seaweed are the same thing. But Dr. Fortes, what are some other misconceptions that people may have about seagrass?
2: That it is practically of no use because it's not very attractive like the coral reef not as useful as the mangrove. It's just a weed. It's just a grass. That's why others are removing the seagrass beds to construct swimming pools in the sea. And then, of course, that seagrass has no relationship with the other ecosystems, with the coral reef and the mangroves. But in reality, it is the ecotone or the transition point, the link between the coral reef, the mangroves, and the seagrass because it is the middle ecosystem. Many organisms just migrate to and fro from the seagrass to the mangrove, mangrove seagrass to coral reef especially. Seagrass is where most of the fish that we eat, the commercially important ones, that is where they spawn.
1: Hmm, that's unpack there. First of all, you mentioned that seagrass beds serve as habitat for marine animals. Tell us more about that
2: as nursery especially, and on the surfaces of the seagrasses, there are so many organisms that grow, epiphytes, plants and animals. And these are the food of fish, of invertebrates, like urchins, even dugong turtle. So you have this as source of food, nursery. But you know, in a nursery, it's not just food that is being provided to you. It's also protection. One of species of seagrass that we have very common in the Philippines is the taroktuk. The common name is Taruktuk in the, in the Ilocos region, or it is an alus acoroidus. Just like the size, it's a belt, more than an inch width. Now, that is a very effective hiding place for the young, so that the predators, the bigger fish, cannot see them when they hide among the, the leaves.
1: Mm-hmm. You You really get the picture that seagrass beds are teeming with marine life. But how do they benefit the human communities in coastal areas?
2: It's so easy to get food from a seer's bed. Early morning, in many places, you see many people go down to the beach, rocky shore at low tide with pails because they collect invertebrates, the juveniles, fish, seaweeds, shells. Old family does that. And right there, they have their breakfast. Breakfast of seaweed, of fish, of shells. And then, in few places, in Cebu, they make use of some species of cigarettes in handicraft, which, of course, adds to their livelihood income.
1: Now, for our listeners, Cebu province is one of the top tourist destinations in the Visayas region of the Philippines. Dr. Fortes, you were saying?
2: So, food, materials, and even... More recent discoveries, chemists have found some very useful compounds, antibacterial for example, growing in the surface of seagrasses.
1: But that's not the only thing seagrass are capable of. They also protect coastal communities from floods, typhoons, and other natural calamities, yes?
2: Yeah. For example, in a community fronting the sea, you have the seagrasses, you have the coral reefs, and you have the mangroves. So all of the three ecosystems are the lines of defense, especially in relation to tsunami, tidal waves, strong waves, and wind. Coral reef is the first line of defense. It's the first line that is really preventing very strong waves. But if there are no coral reefs, the seagrass assume that function. And if there are no seagrasses, then the mangroves assume that function.
1: And that would be especially important when it comes to climate change. The latest report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, says that nature is taking a turn for the worse, and most of it is because of human activity. Carbon dioxide emissions are steadily rising, and the Earth's temperature will continue to rise if no action is taken. But did you know that seagrass play a very important role in reducing carbon in the atmosphere? Which brings us to the question What is blue carbon? Can you talk more about what that is?
2: Blue carbon is the carbon that is captured or sequestered by coastal habitats. You know that with carbon in the air, it's poisonous, it's toxic. And with carbon, you have also heat. So heat is also absorbed. Seagrasses are very effective in capturing carbon in carbon dioxide, cleaning the air that we breathe. And then they store them in their tissues and especially in the sediments for not just hundreds, but even thousands of years. Estimate is seagrass and mangrove are 100 times more effective in sequestering carbon than terrestrial forests. That amount of seagrass captures 20 million metric tons of carbon per year. Can you imagine that amount? 20 million metric tons. And if you try to extend it further, that is equivalent to the amount of carbon that is being released by 270,000 cars running in the roads of the Philippines.
1: That's why seagrass is called the lungs of the sea because like other plants, it absorbs carbon dioxide and releases oxygen into the environment in this case, into the bodies of water where they thrive. You are right to think that this is all well and good. The problem is people continue to destroy seagrass for different reasons. Every 30 minutes, we lose seagrass beds the size of a football field globally. Resorts, households, and hotels keep dumping their laundry washings, for example. And the elements and chemicals in these flow to the sea in such large amounts, they can kill fish and seagrass. Aside from this, reclamation and land development projects can block sunlight and wash out sediments that destroy seagrass beds. This indifference and limited knowledge on the value of seagrass leads to policies that harm the ocean. Take a look at the situation in Dumaguete City, in Negros Oriental. This place is famous for beach resorts, dive sites, and its efforts for marine conservation. But what happened there?
2: Dumaguete City officials are at odds with residents over a reclamation project. Mayor Felipe Ramoglio says the deal for the 23 billion pesos smart city proposal is not yet final. We need not to
0: refuse to acknowledge the immense environmental trade-offs and this 174 hectare smart city reclamation a project multi billion
2: peso reclamation project in Dumaguete is being opposed by several groups saying it may do harm than good
1: the dumaguete smart city reclamation project is a 174 hectare commercial and residential area that promises jobs and economic benefits to residents but sadly to achieve this they plan to build an artificial island that would bury at least three marine protected areas. And of course, the seagrass near the shore will be the first ones to be hit. Dr. Fortes, I'm sure you've heard about this. Your thoughts on the project?
2: The reclamation project in the first place is really generally not welcome because you are modifying the natural Contour of an area, which means that that is a product of thousands of years of trial and error to get the the best possible you know, route of the water. Now, if you destroy that, as reclamation projects will, it will divert the flow of water and it will change entirely the topography, the general condition of the area. That means that that area has to adjust or readjust to the stress imposed upon it. It's very difficult. You are talking about not just a matter of 10, 20 years here. You're talking about at least 50 years to recover. It is more expensive to destroy than really following the natural dynamics of the area.
1: Yes, but some say removing the seagrass is not a problem, would not be a problem, because it would grow fast anyway. Plus, supposedly... It can filter sediments in the water, so it should be able to handle the effects of reclamation. What do you say to that?
2: It's one of the very uh, dangerous instances, lack of knowledge. Practically everything or everybody has a threshold. For seagrass, there is a threshold. For example, with what does reclamation do? They move the earth, siltation results. You can no longer see what is in front of you because it's so murky. Now, even seagrass, which grows so fast, which is so adaptive. For example, one species, the halophila, it starts the growth of a bed of seagrass. If the ambient light is reduced because the silt already has, you know, it's it's more than left, less than 15% of the light, the ambient light, the halophila will, will die. We have to identify the threshold of this species, and we should not exceed that threshold. So if you are encountering that argument, please tell them, do you know the threshold of the seagrass that are in the area? If you don't, better know it first.
1: So losing the seagrass would count as a loss not just for marine creatures relying on it, but for humans as well. If we go on neglecting the seagrass, we lose our source of food, our protection from calamities, our natural ally in defeating climate change. So what can we do?
2: primarily because seagrass grow very fast. All you have to do is leave it alone. Seagrass will grow if it wants to grow.
1: How about something more proactive? I always
2: recommend that no matter what the issue is, the first line of defense is proper education. And by proper, I mean, it is not just the kind of knowledge. It is the knowledge that suits the individual. If you're a policymaker, please do your best to really come up with a good policy. If you're a scientist, you don't have responsibility as a scientist, but the problem is, scientists in the Philippines, I'm sure you know that many of them do not and will not go down to the level of the communities. This is a big turnaround in current science thinking.
1: Yes, and this is called citizen science. The coming together of different sectors in a community to address local issues using their shared knowledge. This includes scientists, local governments, various organizations, and, of course, ordinary citizens. Citizens contribute data from their localities, like photos of corals under stress, or marine mammals stranded on the beach. In the meantime, on the part of the scientists, they're still important. They're, of course, very important. They break down scientific concepts into plain language so more citizens can participate. Like Dr. Fortes, you're involved in this, right? Yeah,
2: I just finished the draft of the Citizen Science Toolkit for Burakai, a 68-page book that details the problems brought about by resorts. But most important is what the community, the citizens, I'm not talking about just the scientists, what the citizens can do.
1: Yes. But Burakai, if you don't know, is the Philippines' top destination for beach lovers around the world, famous for its white sand, water activities, and nightlife. So you found that connecting the dots between science and policy, plus practice, of course, is necessary. But what would you recommend to policymakers with regards to the seagrass ecosystem in the Philippines?
2: First, I would recommend that it is not sufficient, not adequate, not effective to protect just seagrass. The Philippine coast is naturally with other ecosystems. If it is fully tropical, I mean, mangrove, seagrass, coral reefs are there. There has to be an integrated management of the entire ecosystem because of the natural principle of connectivity. If you destroy one, you are actually destroying the other. Now, if there is only seagrass, what's the cost of protecting it? It's not too expensive, of course. All you have to do is prevent the major factor that impacts that seagrass. Never just reduce. There is what you call the cumulative effect. You reduce, but still you are polluting. It is the pollution accumulates. This is the major effect of our
1: laws. Mm, and, and, and there's the National Coastal Green Belt Bill too, which aims to shield Filipinos from the impacts of climate change. Can you explain that to us?
2: It is a belt all over the country. Coast composed of maritime forest or the terrestrial forest very close to the sea, the mangroves, and I added seagrass because the original proposal did not include seagrass, but I defended it and they accepted it. I hope it will be approved soon because of the realization of the role of these plants in protecting our coasts.
1: With these science-based policies passed, not to mention enforced, we might see a greener, healthier Philippine landscape in the future. But the future, I guess that's the point. The future starts now.
2: That's what we're after now. Action. Please, no more talks. Action. I'm sure you have already maybe used to say a vision without action is just a dream. Action without vision is a waste of time. But vision with action and change the world.
1: Every part of nature has a purpose. Even the unassuming seagrass does so much to keep the earth functioning the way it should. And if there's anything we learn from our observations of climate change, it's that what we do to the environment comes back to us. So let's treat it well. I'm Robbie Alampai. Subscribe to Climate Smart Fisheries on Spotify or wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by RARE, a conservation NGO that supports local governments, national agencies, and communities to promote climate resilience in coastal fisheries management. It's part of RARE's Fishing for Climate Resilience project, supported by Germany's Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, and Nuclear Safety through the International Climate Initiative in partnership with Puma Podcast. This episode was produced by Macy Hoven with Yasmin Arquiza and Angel Uson from Rare Philippines. It was edited by Nico Balante. Stay smart, stay informed, and watch out for our next episode on coral reefs in Palau.